Hello, it is Kendra Connor, worship leader at Christ Center Church. I wanted to let you know that there's a quick snippet from Lauren and myself about Christ Center Community Ministries' new Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash your C3 ministry. Following that information will be the continuation of the Coronavision series with the message Opposition Party. Enjoy! Lauren, let me tell you, Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can sign up for to help support our vision. What is our vision, Lauren? Our vision is to have a building of our own where we can house our ministries, Christ Center Church and Christ Center Combat. But in order to do that, we need to raise funds for a building. And that's where you come in. Patreon has monthly subscriptions called tiers, and we have seven of them. Lauren, what are some of our tiers? We have three general Christ-centered community ministries supporting tiers. One of them is $5 a month, one of them is $10 a month, and one of them is $40 a month. And at each tier, it comes with different benefits. Check out our Patreon page to see what those benefits are. Kendra, what does the Christ-centered combat tiers look like? We have four tiers ranging from $15 to $60. And depending on which one you pick, you can have a monthly private lesson with an instructor, up to a weekly private lesson with an instructor, all online for your safety. We subscribed already, and, and we're, we're waiting, waiting for you. Links down below. Add the word great in the title. And I think that's awesome, because tonight, as we look at God's word, one of the things that we're going to see is just how great God is. That even when things are scary and we're struggling with difficult things coming against us, we can know that God is a great God who is in control. In 2008, God worked circumstantially in my life to call me to lead a church, to help build a church from uh, basically nothing. And that church was called Family Bible Church. I was 28 years old. I was in over my head, and I didn't even know what I didn't even know when starting out on that little venture. One of the things that interestingly happened, we had, you know, we got a lot of encouragement from people about the work, and uh, I received some counsel from other pastors and things about how difficult it was going to be and so forth. And then there was one thing that got back to me at one point very early on in that first year, right after uh, we sought to launch the church in 2008. It had gotten back to me that someone in the community had told one of the members of our church, uh, he kind of chuckled and said, you won't last a year. And I was a bit taken aback by that. I mean, it was, it was in a way a challenge of sorts, but uh, it was also a bit discouraging, naturally. You won't last a year. Well, fast forward, uh, 10 years later, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and a few years later, even then, Christ-Centered Community Ministries has come out of Family Bible Church, because God does what he wants, when he wants, and he keeps things going that he wants to keep going, and he does all of that, and it's according to his will, not any of our wills, no matter what we do. But it was interesting that of all the people that were encouraging us and helping us along the way in the beginning, there were those that said things like that. There were things, there were people who didn't say it, but probably, well, no, definitely thought it, even though it maybe was not uh, vocalized or expressed. 
You see, because the reality is in life, when God wants to build something, and he wants to build something in your life, or he wants to build an organization, he wants to build anything, person, place, or thing, and any time that we try to accomplish anything of meaning in life, while success is never guaranteed, opposition is. Opposition is always guaranteed. No matter what God is doing in your life, no matter what he is doing in the church, no matter where you are, no matter what is taking place, if you're trying to accomplish anything of value and meaning and significance for him, there is going to be opposition. It might be uh, the flesh, it might be people, it might be spiritual enemies, but there will be opposition, it's guaranteed. There will always be someone or something that will come up that will try to either delay or destroy the work. Sometimes that person or thing is us even. Sometimes we can be self-sabotaging. It is in those times that we have a choice to make. Do we agree with the naysayers, with those who say things won't last or come to pass or that God can't do something? Do we agree with them? Or instead, do we persevere in the face of opposition? We've been going through Nehemiah. We looked at the first three chapters. And in those first three chapters, we saw that as God's man for the job, Nehemiah cared deeply. He demonstrated great faith, and he worked hard to glorify God with everything that he did in rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. This was all not without opposition, though. And tonight, as we look at God's word in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to see that the opposition that Nehemiah faced, as well as how he expertly navigated and handled it, we're going to look at a couple of commitments, because again, we have a choice to make, whether we just give up and quit, or whether we keep going, we're going to look at a couple of commitments that we as believers can make when we face opposition, when God wants to build something or do something significant in and through our lives. We're going to look at two commitments that we can make when we are faced with opposition in life. Because again, success isn't guaranteed, but opposition is. So Sean read for us the first six verses in Nehemiah chapter 4 tonight. We're going to be looking at all 23 of those verses. But as we look at chapter 4, we find in those first six verses that he read, and we're going to look at again, that we can, there are two commitments that we can make. The very first commitment that we can make when we face opposition in life of any kind is that we can make the choice, we can make the commitment to press forward. To put our heads down and just keep going ahead with what God has called us to do, what God is leading us to do, what God wants us to do, no matter who is opposing us and what is happening, if we know in the confidence of the Holy Spirit that that's what we're supposed to do, we can press forward. We can go forward with what he has called us to do. And we see that in the first six verses here, which, as Sean read for us, we're going to look at again. Now, when Sanballat heard that they were, they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. We're introduced to Sanballat in chapter 2. So they were briefly introduced, a little bit of a snapshot of the fact that he's out there. You remember I shared several weeks ago now that it's kind of like in, in good narrative storytelling. If you watch shows and read books and those kinds of things, you're introduced to the hero, and then on some level you're introduced to the antagonist or who the major party is that's going to be opposing the hero in the narrative. And we're introduced to Sam Ballot 
and Tobiah and a couple other people in chapter 2, and here we're going to see them again in chapter 4, where they really comes to the forefront of the struggle here. So Sambalad had heard they were building the wall. He was angry, enraged, jeered at the Jews, said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Just the weight of a simple little fox. Nehemiah then prays. That's his answer when he hears these, these things coming in, these people saying, these, the, the haters essentially, when that's all coming in. Nehemiah, he prays. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And then in verse 6, I love it. He says, so we built the wall. Because if you look back at verse 4, you see this kind of uh, narrative play in each of the sections. First verse, he'd heard they were building the wall. He was angry, greatly enraged, jeered at the Jews. And then Nehemiah's like, so we built the wall. He didn't want us to build the wall, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Because Nehemiah knew that even though he was hearing those things, he was hearing the ridicule and the mockery from his enemies who were trying to discourage him and the people in the work of what God was building, he knew that the most important thing that he could do in that situation was to keep going, was to press forward, was to move through, to put his head down and keep doing the work that God had called him and his people to do. So what did he do? We see in uh, the first part of, of verse 4, when he pressed forward, he did so by taking the matter to God in prayer. When the opposition popped up, the very first thing that he did is he prayed. He said, God, you know the situation, you know the scenario, you know what's happening. We need you in the situation. He didn't fight back. He didn't refute their statements. He uh, didn't just keep going without talking with God about it. He didn't just, he wasn't vindictive. He just said, God, you know. And we're, we're calling out to you in prayer. Hear, O God, you see our situation. We, you see that we're despised. You see that not only we, but also you, God, your name is being despised and mocked and ridiculed. He took the matter to God. He prayed about it. And man, that's humbling. Because how many times in life do we hear something discouraging or disparaging that somebody says about us and what God is trying to do in our lives, and our, our gut reaction, our initial response, is to say something mean back or to try to prove that it's not true or to argue Nehemiah's first response is to go to God and pray about it. Say, God, you know the situation. You know what's going on. You know that we're despised. We need you. And he does that. We see he calls out to God first. He prays. He presses forward by stopping for a second and talking to God. And then we see that he presses forward additionally by giving it to God so that God can fight their battle. Because as he continues on into the rest of verse 4 and verse 5, he actually uh, prays what's called an imprecatory prayer where he asks uh, God to intervene on the people's behalf. 
So he says, here, O God, we're despised. And then he says, please, God, turn back their taunts on their own heads and let the bad things that they're wanting for us to happen to them instead. Now, that might come a little easier for us, right? Where we're like, yeah, I want to pray. I want God to do to them what they're doing to us. And that's what we see here that, that Nehemiah does. He says, take back their taunt on their own head. Don't cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out for your sight. Why? Not because he's personally offended. Again, let me reiterate and stress. I can't stress this enough. This isn't a situation where uh, Nehemiah just gets his feelings hurt and then goes to God and says, God, okay, you know, uh, it's the sticks and stones. Uh, the words are really hurting me now, so I want you to hurt them. No, uh, it's bigger than that. It's, the, it's an offense to God himself. And Nehemiah declares that. He shares that. He says, uh, they, uh, they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So he presses forward by praying first. And he presses forward by giving it to God and saying, God, you can act, you can move, you can intervene, you can do this. Why? Because you're great, like we sang beforehand. God, you can do all these things. I need you to do all these things in my life because I know that you want to build something great. And it's, it's up to you. So Nehemiah goes to God. He gives him the matter. And then he does something else. He focuses on the matter at hand. Because in order to press forward to keep going in, the spite, in spite of the haters and the, th the things that are being said and the discouragement, he, he, he just, you have to focus. You can't get distracted by all those other things. Because all those other things and people and the stuff that they say and the opposition that you receive when you're trying to do what God wants you to do and you're trying to move forward, you, just, you shouldn't have time for that. You should be so focused on what God wants you to do and on obeying Him that none of the rest of that stuff has much effect on you. So what does Nehemiah say? We saw in verse four or chapter 4, verse 1, we see Sanballat heard, he was upset, he was angry, enraged, jeered at the Jews, Nehemiah's response, so we built the wall. We knew it would make him mad, but we did what God wanted us to do, we built the wall. He was focused on the task at hand, on what needed to happen, what needed to take place. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. Why? For the people had a mind to work. So not only was Nehemiah laser focused on the task at hand, but he also encouraged the people to do the same, to be the same, to have a mind to work. When God is doing something in your life and he wants to build something in your life, whether it's a ministry or a relationship or there's some spiritual goal that he has for you, wants for you, some, some growth goal, do you, do you have a mind to work? Are you focused? Or are you allowing all of the discouragements to come in from the outside or even allowing the discouragements that are already in there to win out over your laser focus on the task at hand? Because we see that if we're going to be able to fight the opposition that is both out there and in there, we have to be focused on God and what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives and ministries. Because it can be very easy to get discouraged, to get derailed, to believe what others are saying, and to ultimately quit and miss out on what mighty and amazing things that God wants to do in your life and through your life. So what is he doing with you tonight? Are there voices that are speaking into your life or even in, in here that are, are calling you to quit? 
that are putting up roadblocks and obstacles that make you discouraged, I want to encourage you tonight to take a page from Nehemiah's playbook and press forward. Make that commitment tonight to not quit, to keep going, to pray and give it to the Lord and let him fight your battles while you focus on doing what he has called you to do. That's a commitment that you can make tonight, and I want to encourage you and can't encourage you strongly enough to do that because it will make all the difference in what God wants to do with you and through you. So we see in those first six verses, we see the first commitment that we can make tonight from Nehemiah chapter 4, whenever opposition comes up and surrounds us, whether it's opposition from without or even our own opposition in here. But then as we continue through the text, we see another commitment that we can make. And this commitment actually involves other people. So the first one was kind of a, about us in a way. Well, the second one is too, but it's also about the community. You see, God never intended for his people to live in isolation. People in general, as people, as human beings, but also in, in a greater sense as Christians. He's never wanted us to live alone, to live isolated, because that's what Satan loves to attack. He loves to attack people who are isolated from others, who are not being built up and encouraged and challenged and strengthened in the faith by other believers. And that is probably one of the greatest threats right now with everything going on in the world and with all the stuff that's happening is that it can be easy to get isolated from each other if we're not careful. Technology is great and it's wonderful for what it accomplishes and you can stay pretty well connected to other people, but there's nothing like being able to see someone even at a distance. Seeing you all tonight in person, you know, I wish I could hug you and I wish I could shake your hands and all that, but... Just being able to see you is, is so encouraging, and he wants his people to um, fight alongside each other in the faith and fight for each other in the faith. And we see that beautifully displayed here in the rest of Nehemiah chapter 4. The next commitment, the second commitment that we can make tonight that takes us through the rest of the chapter is that we can make a commitment to protect each other, to protect each other. Because when you're being opposed, when people are speaking into your life, when people are trying to discourage you in the ministry and all of that, you have to remember you're not alone. Because that can be the easiest thing in the world to do is to slip into this mindset that no one knows what I'm going through, no one knows what I'm dealing with, I'm on my own, nobody's there for me. And that's when the enemy wins. But we can't do that. And we don't have to do that because we have a community of brothers and sisters in Christ who are behind us, who are alongside us, who are encouraging us and giving us strength when those things, when those voices come in. And we see that play out in the rest of the text. Verses 7 through 9, let's look at that. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, when they were pressing forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. So they're mad again. And they plotted together to come into fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. That phrase, cause confusion, is very important because it gives us a little bit of an idea of what's happening there. And that idea that we see there, the idea of causing confusion, is that initially the enemies of Nehemiah and the Israelites are wanting to almost kind of stealthily sneak into the city and sabotage it to cause confusion within. They're going to try to destroy it from within. That's the idea. That's what's communicated there in the text with that phrase in the original language. 
It's almost like this uh, spy mission, essentially, where the enemies are trying to infiltrate Israel. And Nehemiah gets word of this. And let's look at Nehemiah's response here. We see Nehemiah's response. I love it. Verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So Nehemiah gets wind of this. The people are going to, the enemies are going to try to come in, sneak in, infiltrate, and destroy, and discourage, and, and stop the work. And what we see here is that Nehemiah, again, goes to prayer. So we saw in the first commitment that the very first thing that he does is pray. He goes to God. He says, we hear, O God, for we are despised. He went to the Lord. And again, he does it here in verse 9. And you see, that's the thing. Not only should we be praying for ourselves and our situation and taking our situation to the Lord, but we should also be praying for one another. Because Nehemiah was praying for the safety and the security. He was praying for God to intervene, not only on his behalf, but on behalf of all the people. He was thinking of everyone in the situation. And he goes to God. He says, and we prayed. I love it. He uses the word we several times here. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. They prayed together. Man. If more of us brothers and sisters in Christ just prayed together when things were difficult and tough and we were discouraged and feeling opposed, it's amazing what God would accomplish in those situations. I'm convinced of it. And in this situation, he protected his people. He protected his nation because they gathered together in the face of threat and prayed with and for one another. They made a commitment to protect each other, and they started by doing so again in prayer. That's kind of a thing with Nehemiah, isn't it? We see him praying a whole lot, which is awesome. But that's what they did together as a group, as a community, to protect each other because they were committed to protect one another when opposition came in, and it will. One of the things that I love about our church is that we pray virtually together online through Zoom still um, every Wednesday night, and I look forward to that time in the week. There's sometimes when I'm discouraged or tired, and there's sometimes where I've been online all day in meetings and things, and I'm like, oh, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do another hour online, not even an hour really. Um, but once I get on there with everyone and I see their faces there and we all pray together about what's going on, it's so encouraging and it's so uplifting that I just can't tell you the value of it, praying with and for one another as a community. And Nehemiah did it here. Because in order to protect each other, we have to pray for each other. You just have to. And if we're going to be committed to overcoming the opposition that God places in our lives and in our ministries, it's only going to happen if he's involved and we're praying with and we're praying for one another. So we see here that that's one of the components of protecting each other. Another component of protecting one another and being committed to protecting one another is in the next passage. So they set a guard and they prayed for protection. God protected them against this infiltration. And then in verse 10, We see, though, in this narrative that this is hard work, and the people are starting to get discouraged because, again, they're constantly facing threats. And can you imagine having to have your head on a swivel every day wondering if the enemy is going to try to sneak into the city and sabotage what you're doing? And the people got discouraged. Verse 10, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. They're feeling weak. They're feeling discouraged. Their strength is failing. There is too much rubble. The work is so hard. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
They were working so hard that they were getting tired, they were getting weary, they were getting discouraged, and they said, we don't know if we're going to be able to finish. And then, to make matters worse, the enemies caught wind of that, of the discouragement that was taking place in the city, and they said, they ramped things, they took things up a notch, they ramped things up here in verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So the people that were hearing it in the outlying areas were coming to the city and saying to their friends and family members, stop what you're doing, just come back home, stop this work that you're doing, stop this ministry that you're involved in, it'll be safer, you won't have to die. So imagine the people are discouraged, they're tired, they're ready to quit, the enemies are conspiring again, only this time they're conspiring on a full assault from all sides. They're actually planning to wipe them out so quickly and so fast that it says here that they won't even know what's happening. So at first it was stealth and they were trying to infiltrate. Now they're going, yeah, we're just going to swarm them and destroy them. And their own family members and friends that aren't working on the wall, who are living out in the other areas, are saying, come on home, it's safer. Just give up, just quit. Imagine. But you know, we've got those people in our lives too, right? We've got the naysayers, we've got the haters, we've got the people who want to discourage us, who, want to, who don't want to see God do something in our lives. But then we've also got the well-intentioned family members and friends who genuinely care about us, who would also like to see us stop risking our lives for the faith. And they'll say things that are well-meaning and well-intentioned and aren't necessarily bad, but they are not what God wants us to be doing, even if they don't realize it. And sometimes we can feel discouraged by those things. And what we see here is that Nehemiah now has to respond and react to this. He says in verse 13, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, now get a hold of this, folks. Again, I laid the groundwork for you. The people are discouraged. They're tired. They want to quit. They want to give up. The enemies are conspiring against them, and they're making it very vocal that they're going to wipe them out. And they, they're hearing this from family members and friends who are coming in and saying, just quit, come back home, it'll be safer. Nehemiah, his response is this. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's like from Braveheart, for those of you who've seen that movie, right? That's what Nehemiah says to encourage and rouse the people. Why? Because if we're going to protect each other from opposition, both without and from within, we have to not only pray for one another, but we also have to be there to give one another perspective. When we want to give up, when we want to quit, when we get discouraged and want to go home. Nehemiah said, look everyone, this is the perspective that you have to have. That God is greater than your enemies. And that you are fighting for what really matters here. You're fighting for your families, your loved ones, for God. You're fighting for awesome reasons, for a great God. He gave them the perspective that they needed not to quit, not to give up. And there are people in your life right now that need that perspective that are discouraged, that do want to quit on the faith, that do want to give up seeing what God wants to do in their lives. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you need God's perspective to keep going because all you can see are the enemies in your life. All you can hear are the thoughts in your head. 
But God sees things differently. And he wants you to have a different perspective. And Nehemiah to the people gives them the perspective that they need to keep going. And he wants us to do that for each other just like Nehemiah did for them. Because if we're going to protect each other, not only must we pray for one another, but we also must give one another perspective on the situation and help people refocus on the task at hand, serving the Lord and doing what he calls us to do. So he, he cheers them up, he rouses them, he helps them to see the importance of what they're doing. And then he says in verse 15, and we see the, the last part, how he responds and reacts. So he not, he's not only a man of simply just words, he also is a man of action. He's a man who knows how to plan. Because while we do want to give these situations and circumstances to the Lord, God also wants us to be prepared as well, in as much as we can be. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. So God had frustrated the plan of their enemies. And it got back to them that what they were planning was not going to work out. He said, we all return to the wall, each to his work. So now the people's strength is renewed. They're re-encouraged. They're ready to get back to doing things. They went back to work. From that day on, here's God's plan. Here's his plan for what he does with his people in order to accomplish the work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah and were building, or who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So he, he had a plan. He trusted the Lord. He gave it to the Lord. He prayed for everyone. They prayed together. They watched each other's backs. They offered perspective. And then they had a plan that involved working together. Because there is nothing more powerful in your life when you're trying to build something for the Lord and he's leading you to build something. When you have someone alongside you encouraging you and helping you do the work together. And that's what's happening here. There were people who were building. There were people who were ready to fight. There were people who had a job and they had their work in one hand and their weapon in the other. And this was all part of a well-orchestrated plan in order to keep God's people safe, to protect them and help them to be able to continue to do the work at hand. And he had this plan that he had somebody who had a trumpet. And if any of the sides of the wall were attacked at any moment, that person would go to that side of the wall, blow the trumpet, so everyone around the wall would hear and know where to go. I mean, it was beautifully orchestrated. It was a plan that God used to protect his people. And if we're going to protect one another, we need each other. And we need to be looking for ways that we can intentionally help each other grow and face the opposition that we have in our lives, the discouragements. Verse 21, he tells us, So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So he even had people that 
Sometimes we're on guard duty, sometimes we're on soldier duty, and they alternated and switched. Verse 23, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. He said we never ever took off our armor. And get a hold of that too, because this shows you something about Nehemiah as a leader. He makes it a point to note that even he, the most seemingly the most important man on the job there, even he led by example and never removed his armor. He didn't do something that he wasn't calling the other people to do as well. Because that was part of the plan to work together to protect each other from the opposition that was coming into their lives to try to stop from uh, try to stop them from finishing the work that God had them do. They made a commitment to protect each other when they faced opposition. So when we look at these verses and we look at this, this, these passages in this chapter, we see those two commitments that Nehemiah beautifully portrays, and we see that in the lives of the people. First, we saw the first commitment that we could make is that we have to press forward. We have to keep going. No matter what people say and do, if God wants us to do something, we've got to do it. We've got to get it done. And the second is, we have to protect each other. We have to have people in our lives who can help encourage and lift us up and help us keep going, and that we can do the same for when the enemy tries to attack us and get us off track and keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to do. So we see here as we look at the text, when God wants to build something, there will be opposition. And he wants people who care, who have faith, who work hard, and are not afraid to commit to overcome. Will you commit to overcome the opposition in your life by pressing forward and protecting one another tonight? Because we've all got opposition. But will you commit to overcome that opposition and not give up and quit and walk away from God and walk away from what he wants to do in your life? So what do we do with this? How do we practically apply this? First is this. Determine what opposition you're facing right now to what God is building in your life. Because we've all got things uh, that are popping up that will keep us from accomplishing what God wants to do in our lives and in our church. There are always going to be those things. What is it for you? What is it for us as a community? Think about that. Determine what opposition you're facing right now and what God wants to build in your life. Tonight, I want to encourage you and challenge you to be like Nehemiah and take that to God in prayer. As we have the closing song on the great, again, another song about how great God is. During that song, during that song, determine what that is, what that opposition is. Take it to God. Ask him to fight your battle. Ask him to fight your battle. Commit to him that you're not going to quit and that you're going to stay focused no matter what on what he wants you to do. Because there's too much at stake not to. So determine what opposition you're facing and give it to God tonight. And then, the second thing you can do is this. And this is the other people part, right? Because we, we said the passage, the first part's the us part. Second part's more the other people part, the community. Second is this. Look at the other believers in your life and see what God is trying to build with them. Because again, it's a faith community. There are people in your life around you that God is doing something with too. And they may be discouraged. They may be ready to quit. They may want to give up. They may be listening to the voices from without and within. Maybe it's even the same thing that God is doing in your life. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. 
Pray for them tonight. Pray for them tonight. Offer the encouragement of an outside perspective, but ask first. So don't just go up and bombard people with unsolicited information, because not everyone responds well, real well to that. But there is a tactful way you can say, hey, I see that God seems to be doing something in your life. You don't have to share it with me, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And if you want to, you can, and we can even pray together. So people, I find people that even state that they don't believe in God when the chips are down and, and life's hitting them hard, and they may not believe in God, they may not believe in prayer, but they are encouraged and thankful to, to know that you are praying for them regardless. Go to them. Ask them if you can pray for them. Offer them encouragement. If God is showing you something in their lives, and talk with them about it. And then, if they are willing to pray with you, and they are willing to talk with you, and they are willing to share what God is doing in their lives, develop a strategy with them for continued prayer and accountability for both of you. Say, hey, would it be okay if I check back with you next week just to see how things were? And just, you know, if you want to, if not, that's okay, I understand, but I was wondering if you'd be willing to, you know, maybe we could get together for five minutes once a week, once every two weeks, whatever works for both parties. Develop a strategy for prayer and accountability for both of you. And then watch as God builds amazing things in your life and in the lives of others. God, thank you so much tonight for Nehemiah, for his faith. And thank you for being a great God. Thank you for being a great God who loved us enough to die for us in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would see your greatness in the building of walls, in the building of lives, and in the sending of your Savior, all of those things which make you a great and awesome God. Thank you so much for the encouragement to be found in the pages of your word. And I pray that we would leave changed people. We can't thank you enough for that. And it's in your son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior tonight. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Opposition Party, the continuation of the Corona Vision series from Pastor Sam Murphy at Christ Center Church. I hope God was able to use him to speak into your life and that you will be back to hear our message next week. Thanks.